Everybody and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. And I have a good for you. I have the Wunderbass Sloan DeForest with me. And when we did our last one, Sloan, I think that was right at the head of the pandemic. I think it was in the heart, just when right. it was beginning, like the end of March, beginning of April. And um, uh, well, we haven't done one since, but we did say we wanted to do. Uh, one on Jean Tierney, and we figured we'd do it on her birthday, but we are probably, what, like six days late, but, you know, we're within a week, and we're doing one on the wonderful, the gorgeous, uh, the troubled, and uh, just very interesting woman, Jean Tierney. And thank you for coming on, Sloan, because I was—I told you I'm not going to do it with anybody else. You were my gene girl. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I think we're both—we both have similar tastes. We've discovered in in classic film stars, and Jean Tierney is. Um, well, I think a lot of people love her, but we particularly have an affinity for her. Yes, and you know, I think it's just because of so many reasons, which we'll get to. But um, mm-hmm. we're going to start just by kind of saying our favorite films. About uh, and I guess it's um, take it away. I think we probably have the same ones. <laughs> yeah, we probably are going to list the exact same movies. But um, well, we were just we we had already discussed briefly that we both love the Ghost and Mrs. Muir from 1947, and two years prior to that, Leave Her to Heaven. Of course, her her, her big Oscar nominated uh, role, which she's probably best known for that and Laura, which are all three greats. Wonderful but I films. find it interesting. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting to contrast Leave Her to Heaven with The Ghost in Mrs. Muir because that then you really see her range. Within two years, she nails playing a, a complete psychopathic woman uh, and then turns around and she plays this um, demure uh, and funny, you know, there's a lot of, she's really good at the humor in that movie, I think, with Rex Harrison as the ghost. They were very and good together. I'm not a great they, fan they of were. Rex Harrison, but I thought they were really no, good No, but, but in that movie, it really works. And of course, it, we have a young Natalie Wood in one of her first movies playing Jane Tierney's daughter. So it's a fabulous movie, and she's so fabulous in it. She's this feisty character I wrote about in Dynamic Dames, in fact. I consider her a Dynamic she Dame. She is, um, definitely. Because she wants to live her own life. She's She's basically a feminist. She, she, you know, she she writes those books and they're blast, blast, you know, swears in them and the Captain Greg. He's reading her the stories and um, he's telling her his life and she's writing it down and it keeps her so that she doesn't have to go live with those horrible in-laws she doesn't want to live with. And um, so she is, she's sort of like a feminist. She's, 
she's very independent and she's wonderful and you just love her and the relationship she has with the ghost is, is really romantic and then it is it's very romantic and then of it's course, a lovely movie and then of course uh you know uh and uh, but it's such a likable character. She's feisty and yet she's very demure sweet and ladylike. And yeah, cute yeah, she's and sweet. And then contrast that with Leave Her to Heaven, Ellen, who is a just um, a beast. you know Ellen always wins. <laughs> yeah, like everybody said. Yes, no, and what the mother-in-law, who is matter of fact Bogie's second wife, uh, who plays Ellen's mother, um, she said. Right. He said he wanted to. Um, I'm going to dedicate this book to my beautiful, wonderful mother-in-law. She said, nope, you dedicate it to Ellen. Dedicate all your books to Ellen. (laughs) And he's like, what's wrong Mm -hmm. with her? And she said, she just loves too much. But She loves too much. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. And I I don't know. And there's another one I like. It's not really a great film, but it's cute. It's the, um, I believe it's the mating game. She's married to John Lund. Miriam Hopkins is her mother. Thelma Ritter is her mother-in-law, but she has no idea. She thinks this is a maid she sent for, and her son is horrified. Oh, right. I don't think I've seen that one. (laughs) You've got to watch it. She's so cute in this. And um, it's a cute film, but in parts of it, you know, I can see the sun and, and she's sleeping in the maid's room because she doesn't want, you know, she she got this, exp- she she paid for her son's college by owning, her hu- her husband died and they owned a hamburger stand, I think in New Jersey or something. And, you know, she's down to her, she's Thelma Ritter. And um, of course, Ellen learns to love her and she was horrified when she knew that he never came clean and said, this is my mother. So, but it was a good movie, very good movie. Well, she was in a lot of good movies. I mean, also Night in the City with Richard Widmark was really good. She, yes. Her movies with Dana Andrews, uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends. She was also in um, a cute romantic comedy with Tyrone Power that I can't remember the name of. But, Son, but, of uh, Son of Fury? Uh, no, no. Th- they were, this was um, uh, later. Yeah, later in the 40s where... Um, they're, they meet on a skiing trip or something. Okay, let me see. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. It's not important, but if you can find it, yeah. I will be able to find it because I'm right on. Yeah, her last real film before she went away is The Left Hand of God. She had Black Widow. You could tell she wasn't right in that, too. Um, the Egyptian, Never Let Me Go. That was with What's-His-Face, Clark Gable. Personal Affair, Plymouth Adventure, where she allegedly had an affair with um, Spencer Tracy. Way mm-hmm. of Gaucho, Close to My Heart, Trey Millant, On the Riviera, The Mating Season, Secret of Convict Lake, Night in the City. Hmm. Wonderful Urge. Is that it? Yeah, Jean Cherney. Yes, and The Wonderful Mar- Urge. I've never that seen it. that. That's pretty cute. It's a remake of a previous film that I... Uh, uh, can't put my mind, put, think of right now. I just popped into my head, so I wasn't even prepared to talk about that movie. But um, I remembered that she was good in that. I mean, I just love her in everything. I think you would agree. She may not always be the greatest, most emotive, or the most spontaneous actress. She had a very mannered uh, way about her. But when she had the right role, you couldn't get better, especially no. in Lieber to Heaven with the Technicolor, her beauty, oh her eyes, God. her everything. red lips, right? 
just so beautiful. Heaven Can Wait was good, too. She was cute in that, yeah. but it's not mm-hmm. a great movie. Dragonwick, she didn't like at all. Um, but I like the movie. I enjoy it. It's not my favorite. That was Joseph L. Mankiewicz's directorial debut, in fact, because I think Lubitsch was supposed to direct it, and he had a heart attack, and, and uh, Mankiewicz stepped in. They did end up having an affair. She was unhappy in her marriage with Oleg Cassini. Um, but the movie's not bad. Uh, with Vincent Price, I right. can see why it wasn't. It's not great, though. No, it's not great, but it was her. What was this? She worked with him on Leave Her to Heaven, Laura, Dragonwick, and that was it, right? Three. I don't think she did more. I think she did four with him. I watched an interview. Uh, I watched. Um, you know how A and E used to have the biography, so I watched that on YouTube mm-hmm. on Jean, and it had a daughter. Too. Did you see it? And and he was yeah. very nice about her. Um, Richard Wedmark, he liked her a lot. Mm-hmm. He found her to be a really wonderful woman. And um, like I said, Dana in his in his di- uh, his diaries, when I had the guy on who did Dana mm-hmm. Andrews, and he the right. family gave him access to the diaries. He he mentioned you know poor Jean and that she had problems, but I'm thinking he noticed it on Laura, but he. He worked with her for a lot of years. I mean, he worked with her right. in 1950 as well. So I'm sure he saw it around her that she she tried to hide it. But you know, well, you know, before her, her uh, according to her autobiography, which I know we both read, um, she even before her 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 mental illness symptoms really manifested. She was still having a lot of difficulty. She was having a physical problem with her eye that would get so red and swollen. She couldn't shoot and she would stay home and cry and no, nobody could figure out what was wrong with her eyes. And, and uh, she had problem, horrible stomach pains. So she was having a lot of problems even before Daria's birth, even before her, her mental illness became um, a big factor. So I can see how, you know, her co-stars certainly would have noticed that she was troubled. Also... I, in her biography, she didn't go into it much, but I guess she had an aunt who also had yes. mental illness. Mm-hmm. And but it's just brief, like the crazy aunt or something like that. But there, her aunt Claire. A, yeah, right. I read about that as well. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because it did run in her family, and yeah. that's that's a real thing. Yes, it sure is. It's it's yeah. our DNA. It's genetics. You know, so right. you, you see it so often that. Someone in the family will have it. If it's not the mom or dad, it's an aunt, it's somebody else. So it's interesting. In her book, I highly recommend to find if you can find her autobiography to read. She's very honest. Um, she, yeah, it's a great book. It's really it, a good in one. fact, it really inspired me when I was going through some problems, some health problems I've had. I had myself uh, hearing her story. You know, it's very inspiring when you're going through a difficult time. Yeah. Because nobody went through more difficulty. Few people went through more difficulties than she did from the heights of of uh, glamour and wealth and fame. Yeah. So why don't we begin and talk about where Jean began? Yeah. Um, so she was born in 1920 to a wealthy family. Uh, her mom, it's funny, she seems to be kind of a feminist herself because she was a gym teacher. I know, right? Which is really odd. She was gorgeous. <laughs> Beautiful she, mother. Did she have short hair too? 
I don't know. In yeah, her picture, her, she had like hair that. like a boy yeah. in her pictures, and she, but she was so oh. beautiful. I mean, you can see her. They even, I think, uh, when they first offered Jean a movie contract when she was discovered, where I'm sure we'll go into this mm-hmm. at age 17, they said we should sign up the mother too because her mother was drop dead gorgeous. Yeah, and it's so funny. So, and her dad, he, she adored her father. I noticed in the picture, that's where she got her overbite from. She got her beauty from her mother mm-hmm. and her overbite <laughs> from her father, which I liked. I, I, I'm glad she never fixed her overbite. Right. And she had what? Did she ha- She had a sister and a brother? Yes. And she was so beautiful as a child. Oh, my God. Uh, she really was. I mean, but both her parents were good looking. Her both, father yes. had the overbite, but those eyes, he also had those piercing blue eyes. Yeah. So she, she lucked out in the genetics department. Well, in one way. And then I guess she hit the hit, hit a really um, uh, ugly side of the genetic lottery in the other way. Yeah. And so she basically was a happy kid and they would go and do stuff. And her father was... I don't know. I guess he did have a struggling business. He was doing okay. Jean, didn't she go to Europe for a year or something? She went to Switzerland to school for a year. Uh, they were living with servants, and she had, she was a debutante. They were doing very well. Uh, but then when the Depression, I mean, this was during the Depression, he seemed to be doing okay. But I don't know what happened because his business started to fail at some point in the late 30s, early 40s. And, and uh, that's why... He, he allowed her to accept a movie contract at 18 because he needed the money. Yeah. It, and I also, I don't know if it was on biography or it was in Jean's book that she was roommates with um, uh, Maria Rivera, uh, Maria Riva, who was Marlene Dietrich's daughter. But she oh, right. Yeah. I remember hearing that. Mm-hmm. And then they went to a trip. This was a trip they were going to take. They went to the West Coast, and they were actually tourists when they were going through, I think, which studio? I, I don't. It was Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, right. And so they're walking around and seeing everything. And Jean's 17, her brother's, I think her older brother, and, um, and somebody discovers Jean. And <laughs> it's like, hubba hubba, we want you to do a screen test. And, you know, they wanted the mother too. And the brother's like, are you kidding me? You know, he, just, he's totally, he was laughing. <laughs> My sister, give me a break. Uh, and so she didn't have the screen test at that time, did she? Or did she? I think she had the screen test because John Farrow, I believe, directed it. And they offered her a contract right then and there, which never happened. She was completely untrained. She was so beautiful. I know. Yeah. And uh, her father said no. So he said he wanted her to have her debut first in society and do some work on the stage, which she did. And then it was a year later uh, at 18. That she signed a contract and started acting, but that was films. with Fox. She didn't sign that, it with MGM. Well, it was right, no, it was with Columbia at first, but then they didn't find anything for her, and she, so she was able to, I guess, get out of the contract and move to Fox, where she really took off. Oh, what was her first one? The uh, Frank James one. The Return of Frank James, yes. Uh, a Harvard Lampoon voted her the worst female discovery of 1940, poor thing, in her first movie. That, I saw a little clip of that. I've never seen the movie, but um, it was Mm-mm. cute. She was just 
her voice. She was horrified. She said she sounded like Minnie Mouse. And with that, she started smoking like a fiend and she ended up getting emphysema down the line. Yes. But she, she got lung cancer mm-hmm. too, right? And that's what she died of later. So yes. kids, if you if you sound like Minnie Mouse, don't try smoking as a remedy. That's the lesson there. What it, What is another good way to get your voice to you? You just have to practice, I guess. Well, Rock Hudson, yeah, Rock Hudson had a high voice at first. And uh, I, I don't know if it was Douglas Sirk or some ma- manager or director gave him the advice to go to a mountain, like in the middle of nowhere, and just start yelling <laughs> and yelling and yelling until your voice drops. And it happens. And he said it happened. It happened to Lauren Bacall, too, but then she was smoking like a fiend as well. Right. But but Rock managed to do it without without cigarettes. So there there are other ways. Yeah. Yeah. You can just go. Yeah. I think even Lucille Ball said she did it, that they would have a convertible and they would go speeding through this mountain and scream. But Lucy Mm, also mm -hmm, smoked like mm -hmm. a fiend as well. So good for Rock. She did, too. Good for Rock. It worked for him. And so Jean did that. She got in there, but she still got more work. Frank James, that's so funny. Um, and in nineteen, well, she she really wanted to. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but she really wanted to improve herself. She would go to the studio and watch movies and and uh, study so hard, you know. And Cassini, Oleg Cassini, uh, remembered. Her studying and studying and studying. She wanted. She was very determined and and uh, hardworking. He so, so she, she got met, better. Yeah, she she got fit, uh, very much better. She met Oleg Cassini in 1940, and he helped transform her into a glamour icon, as he would later do for the same for Grace Kelly and also for Jackie Kennedy. He was her mm-hmm. personal uh, dresser. What do you call those people? Uh, Cotier. Cotier. <laughs> yes, he was. But at the time, nobody wanted. Jean felt, first she thought, you know, oh. And then she met him and she was in totally um, charmed by him and fell for him very quickly and vice versa. But um, her family did not like him. They did not want her to marry him. And... Um, same with Grace Kelly. He right. was, a, you know, he was a bit of a rascal. I don't think he was a completely terrible guy, but he was a bounder. He, he was certainly a, was, and he admits yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And he would cheat, and he would do whatever he did, because, you know, I think that's sort of that European guy thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, he was a bit of a jerk, really, let's yeah. face it, because in the biography that I know you saw, we both saw, he, he came out and said, you know, Gene was always um, so jealous and so suspicious, as if I were always messing around. And then he said, well, I, I was, I admit it, but, <laughs> but, you know, it was because of her. It was because she was so suspicious. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, blame the woman. Break. Yes. Right. You, if you keep, t- this is what Frank Sinatra said about Ava. He said, uh, if you keep accusing me, then I'm going to be doing it. And he's allegedly called her. Well, if he's having sex with somebody else, you're going to keep accusing me. Well, I'm going to do it. So here you go. Great. Great idea, guys. <laughs> Not mean and horrible. You know, nothing like that. But anyway. Uh, while they were dating, and his father had such a, a bad thing about it. Oh, um, Jean had the father taking care of her finances. At right, and um, in 1941, 
while they were dating, her father left her mother for another woman. And that devastated Jean big time. She adored her father. She really did. And um, funny in her biography, she wrote, it's so when her um, her grandfather left her grandmother as well, and she was surprised how they go from beautiful women to plain women. But she was wealthy. His wife was wealthy. Um, but I don't believe Jean had. And then she found out that he took her money. Um, yeah, she said, I want one once once he left her mother, uh, she said, well, dad, OK, I want all my money that you've been keeping for me. And he was like, well, it, it's gone. I invested it all in my business to try to keep it from failing. And so that was a double devastation. And yeah. she said, had he asked me, I would have given him anything all and more. But he didn't. He just took it. And so that along with the divorcing her mother, whom she adored, um, she, I don't think she ever saw him again. Uh, they had very little contact again. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a huge, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge blow to any young woman. <laughs> your father leaves your mom right. and he steals from you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and he's out of your life forever and it's yeah. over. That's that's awful. Yeah. That's an awful thing. That was the first awful thing that happened to her. And she was only, what, uh, 21? Yes, she was 21. And when did she date Howard Hughes? This whole Howard Hughes crap. Was that before Cassini or after? Um, you know, I can't remember exactly when they met. I don't have that at my fingertips, but it was around the same time that she met him because they never, you know, I think they went out on one date and Jean was, um, her mother was kind of hovering and Jean was kind of nervous and she didn't want to get involved with him and, and, and he didn't force her and uh, in an uncharacteristically kind and generous, you know, gesture for Mr. Hughes, uh, seems to be from all I've heard, you know, he didn't uh, force anything on her and they just remained friends and that was it. But he was so helpful to her. He helped yes, her with hospital on, bills yes. and yeah. But I guess like uh, this is his MO. Hey baby, want to go on a date? He comes over with this huge box of jewels and tells you, yeah. take which one you want. Take two. I don't care. What? You know, and so she didn't take anything. crazy times. Yeah. Yes. But he did that to everyone. I mean, who did he miss for God's sakes? I mean, he beat everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Pretty much every attractive woman. Yeah, he would try. He would try with, you know, and, and just to see if they bit. Uh, Nancy Olson, you know, she was in Sunset Boulevard. Uh-huh. Um, she, I worked on her memoirs with her several years ago, and she told me a story about Howard Hughes that, um, you know, he called her into his office one day and, and she was, she knew she, he had a reputation. So he, she knew what he wanted. Yeah. Um, and she said she just played dumb and she just pretended to be like a dumb girl from Wisconsin who didn't, who was unworldly and she kind of scared him away and he left her alone (laughs) after that. So one, one got away, but it's just, he did everybody, you know, he ended up marrying, um, Jean Peters, but she never talked about it. I don't believe she, I think she got a little bit of money from him and she went back to teaching and lived her own life, but she never remarried after that. But 
Well, he was a he was a weirdo. I mean, let's face it. And yes. part of it was not his fault. He had also, I don't know if it was from the plane crashes or before that, that he had very bad OCD and other issues as well. He was never treated for. So Yeah. And also the plane crash was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, did a number on him because he almost yeah. died. And it, he he changed his appearance changed and i'm sure that changes you so much when you almost die and this is something you love so much but he you know he was a character and you know like they said he'd dress he had high water pants on and he just wear like really shabby <laughs> clothes and who know who know yeah, who knows? He, well, it, you know, Hollywood is all the richer for his um, his presence in it, I guess, in certain ways. We have to look at it like that. That's true. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the women were all the richer for having him there yeah, and then selling right. the jewels. Yeah, at least they got some jewels to sell later when their yeah. careers declined. So he was good for something. Yeah. And so she married Cassini against her mother's wishes, against the studio's wishes as well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so her, her relationship with her mother was strained and then began Pearl Harbor very soon after they married. I think it was like pretty instantly after they married, um, a Japanese bomb, Pearl Harbor and everything changed. And, right. um, Olag was feeling very, you know how it is with, uh, you know, he wasn't getting the gigs and he was like Mr. Gene Tierney. So in a lot of ways, that's when guys go a little haywire too. Mm-hmm. If they're not really, you know, they they're like they have to prove that they're more than just, you know, her husband. Oh yeah, I can right. do this. I can do that. I can do this. Whatever. And so he did uh, to do whatever. Um, she got the Shanghai gesture with Joseph von Sternberg. She. Be- did you think she really became a pinup for World War II? I see some pictures of Jean, but I just can't see her really as a pinup pinup. Uh, she was one of the World War II girls that they named a fighter plane after her. Yeah, she was something of a World War II pinup, but not not to the extent that Rita Hayworth and Betty Grable were. No, she wasn't that famous yet, for one thing. But she, well, I guess she was getting famous now, though in World War II. Yep. Yeah, she was a pinup. She was, I would call her a World War II pinup. Yeah, because I saw some gorgeous pictures of her, but she really yeah. didn't take many. Of those kind of pictures. She didn't take a lot of cheesecake bathing suit pictures like Betty Grable. No, she had a different, she had a whole different, uh, more reserved, more exotic uh, appeal, I think. But, um, you know, those guys wanted pretty women on their barracks walls and on their airplanes. So they were, they went for Jean for sure. Yeah. And then that's when it happened where she uh, had the Hollywood canteen, I'm sure you guys all know about, where... Hollywood stars and would get together and, you know, do good things for the soldiers who were, you know, coming back from war, leaving for war. And they all kind of pitched in. And Jean was there one day. And she was pregnant. Pregnant. With Cassini's child. Yeah, she yes. wasn't. I guess she must not have been showing. Um I can't see she would show too much anyway, but. I, it was the early days of her pregnancy. Right. Yeah, I believe. And she, she uh, after that, she ended up getting German measles. And she was worried that that would do something to the baby. And the doctor's like, don't worry about it. The baby will be fine. The baby mm-hmm. will be fine. And when the baby's born, it's premature. And it's a little girl, Daria. And 
allegedly the baby's beautiful, um, just beautiful. And she, Jean didn't at first know something was wrong with her, but she learned quickly that she didn't seem to be, you know, as responsive as a child should be or um, whatever. And I, I don't know, it took him a little while to figure out... Well, this is what frustrates me about the medical community then and still now is is that she would go in saying there's something wrong with my daughter. And they said, no, no, it's all your imagination, <laughs> you know, that whole thing, which is tragic. I'm laughing, but it's it's not funny. And um, she knew. And finally, the doctors believed her. Uh, yes, she's deaf. Yes, she can't see in one, ear, one eye. But these things, she had fluid in her ear. These things can all be fixed. And then I think it was, I don't know how much longer after that she came across a newspaper article right about the about um women who were exposed to German measles during pregnancy and the uh, effects it has on their children, which are devastating and permanent. And she took the clipping in, I believe, to the doctor. And he said he sort of dismissed it as unimportant. But she knew she knew. You know, and then I. I wonder, she was so tortured by that. She loved that child so much. And there's this portrait, if you saw the biography, that her other daughter, uh, Christina, said that her mother, that we saw the portrait. And it was like Jean, very young, holding Daria. And her mother, she said, would look at it so often. And I mean, this really broke Jean in half. Oh, it's terrifying. It absolutely... um I think it was that she believes it was the precursor to to the manifestation of whatever mental illness that was already perhaps in her genes. But it it started becoming full blown because she had a complete breakdown. I mean, Cassini, you know, remembered her when they finally told her, yes, your daughter's severely mentally impaired. She'll never she'll probably never speak. She'll never be able to function. She basically has the brain of a baby. Uh, and she's never going to, there's no cure. Uh, Jean just fell apart. I mean, screaming hysterics. They said they had to put her in an institution and that was that. And that was devastating to her. And Oh, the daughter. Yes. They had to put Daria in a, they had to take her daughter away and just keep her in, in sort of a home basically where she was cared for because there was no, she, she could, she, Jean said that when she would visit, uh, she recognized her, she would smell her neck and hug her, you know, and that was about it. That was about all she could do. How devastating though when you think about it. When you you have a child and you're going into those places, and I wonder how how often she could go into those places after a while to see her daughter. Um, Right. Because she really didn't talk too much about going there, which you can't blame her. And um, it's a whole different time. Um, And it's amazing because, like I said, both of the daughters, uh, Daria lived to be 66 years old, which you really wouldn't think so. And then Christina had a stroke at 66 years old. And they both, both that's of so interesting. at 66. Yeah. Yes. That's unusual. Um, so she had the baby. They left the baby. And now she was a huge star. You know, the razor's edge, night in the city. 
Um, Laura, well, Laura was her first, I guess we should say. Oh, yes, that we was did her go into big, yes, Yeah, her big, iconic, major, major starring role um, in Otto Preminger's Laura, which has become a classic. I watch, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that movie. Me too. <laughs> and, and she said she really didn't want it because she says, I'm not even in the first half of the movie, but she really is. Right. She's being, you know, talked about by Waldo. Mm-hmm. So she's in a, you know, a lot of them. And Dana Andrews's detective, of course, falls in love hubba with her hubba. portrait. Yes, yes. Yeah. Our favorite guy, Dana. And our other one, that lovely brother of George Sanders. Oh, yes. They called him nice George Sanders. That Tom would be Conway. Tom Conway. Yeah. He's our other favorite. <laughs> we should do a show on him, but I don't, I know. We do. We should do, yes, we should do a Tom Conway show. Let's do that next time. For the I'll Tom, dig up some information. Yeah, and I have some too, so. We're, okay. we're, I think we'll have enough to cover him. I just think he's so cute, and I watch him, and I go, growl. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so she did Laura, and she, you know, she got... It's so funny. The picture of Laura is not actually a painting. They couldn't get it right, so it is a photograph that they made into... They they kind of painted over it a little bit, oh. but it's a photograph, right? Which Dana Andrews fell madly in love with, and um, I mean, I can't like within two days she's in love with Dana Andrews. There's other problems here. It's like Laura, come on, and I never got this one. Like I love Vincent Price, but I never got this. Like he's supposed to be this dreamboat because. Um, uh, Waldo says another male beauty in distress. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. get that. And he's not really a beauty, but I guess when he was younger, he was supposed to be considered kind of hunky because he was so tall and suave. I he guess he had a look. He had a look. That is for sure. <laughs> it was a look. Okay, I'm going to tell you what he said about Jean. Here it is. Uh, he. Oh, that's a good part where she talks about Grace Kelly. Um, this is Vincent Price on, on Jean Tierney. I've known her since she was about 17, and I adored her. She really wasn't a great beauty or sex idol. She didn't have a great body, but she had a body that were uh, worked well with clothes. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, I uh, coming from Vincent Price, I mean, he's speaking very highly of her. So I don't think he means it in in, any sort of insulting or catty way. But it's hard to see that because she she was one of the most striking beauties um, ever in film. And they all said that she was even more beautiful in person. Right. I heard that too. Yeah. You know, but I guess uh, to each his own. Maybe she wasn't Vincent's type or. Yes. um, Nobody loved her. So that's you know, fine. But together. he adored her. That's good to know. Uh huh. I think he was a sweetheart. Oh, I love Vincent Price. I think he was yeah. a darling. And um, I read, I think it was his daughter's book about him, and it was really, really good. Um, yes. So I, I love Vincent Price. There, there's no doubt in my mind. And he had a great sense of humor about the stuff he had. Oh, to yeah. Do later. He was great. I mean, he was just, he took it, you know, with the fly and all those other things. But you wonderful. said that Dana Andrews, I'm interested what, because um, I read his book too, but it's been a couple of years. So do you have uh, that on hand? You I said that he don't. noticed some signs. Okay. But you just remember he noticed some. Um, yes. The, he said, oh, poor, oh, you said it was Jean. something like poor Jean Tierney because she Jean, was suffering. She was, yeah. yeah. Something like that, along that line. He did, he was not 
uh, dissing her in a horrible way. He just noticed that there was, well, he was an alcoholic. He was a very sensitive person. And right. I think he, uh, I think he showed up at Gene and Olex one morning <laughs> drunk. <laughs> and oh, he, yeah. He had been out all night and they just <laughs> kind of made him breakfast and coffee and they went on to the set. I don't remember. Oh, Dana. I would have fed him breakfast and coffee if he showed up drunk. Me too. uh, And hung over at at my place. Mm -hmm. I would have too. No problem. It wouldn't have been a problem. Anyway, so (laughs) she did that and it was wonderful. And then she gets cast in something that people wouldn't think to cast her in, I don't think, because she never was like, I think that she did Dragonwick after I'm trying to think. Dragonwick yes. 46, I think. Um, and she was, did that. But then she did, I think it's my favorite Jean. I know it's my favorite Jean movie. Um, Leave Her to Heaven, which she played a totally deranged, cray-cray, gorgeous woman. And um, she loves too much. That's all. Like her right? mother said, from the dialogue, yes. yeah. she just loves too much. Yeah, she loved your husband. She loved her father too much. Yeah, that's very creepy, mom. Yeah, <laughs> so she basically <laughs> took her father away from her mother. She had this really sick relationship with him, and so um, anyway, we meet her on a train, and she's they're they're sitting. I guess it's a, I don't know, like a. a car, not like your your seat seat where you can read, maybe have a drink or do something like that. Yes. And, and it was Cornell Wilde. Yes. And he and she is reading a book and he is staring at her like Vavavavumsky because she did look breathtakingly beautiful. And she starts staring at him. And he's like, hmm. And um, that was about it. You know, they just stare at each and other. And then she, and then he, I love it because he uh, tells her how beautiful she is in this very poetic way. And she says, wait a minute, you got that from this book. I just read that page. And then she looks at the back flap and sees his picture on it and realizes that he's the author of the book she's reading. That's a good meet cute. Very meet cute. But then turn off Phil. You look so much like my father. <laughs> right. right. You remind me of my father. Big time red flag Oedipus complex. Yeah. It's like somebody said to me, oh, you look so much like my mother. How I adore you. I'm like, I'm going. You know, <laughs> no way. But he was intrigued. He thought she was hot. And then off comes mom and Jean Crane, who is absolutely beautiful as well. I mean, she certainly... Mm-hmm. You know, no grotesque flowers. She was very beautiful no. as well. And I think it's good casting, even though they're not supposed to be sisters, they're cousins, I, I guess. But it's good casting for Jean Crane as the younger sister type cousin. Yes. And she gets adopted. She said she got adopted by um, the mother. And he said, you mean you got adopted by the mother and father? And she said, no. Not, well, I guess, but not really. You know, she needed me because the father was was obsessed with uh, Ellen. With Ellen, and Ellen, Ellen always wins. Ellen <laughs> was obsessed with her father, so there yeah. is a huge uh, incest hint here. Of course, it doesn't. You know, in that day, you didn't talk about that, but it is certainly. You know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but it was certainly not a paternal 
um, love, father and daughter, normal. Well, it was much more. Yeah, it was it was abnormally obsessive for sure, whether it was sexual or not. Right. It was creepy. It was unhealthy. Very creepy. And so they're at this vacation place. It's beautiful. And I don't know where they are. I think it's in maybe New Mexico or something. And she's engaged to none other than Vincent Price, who is uh, going to be, he's running for something and he's district attorney and he's running for something. And, but um, our lovely Jean puts her gorgeous peepers on Cornell and Cornell can't stop looking. And then she's telling everyone, doesn't he look so much like father? And they're looking and they're like, "Mm, yeah, well, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Guess so. And so one day she swims with the kids and he, uh, she's swimming with the the two children that live in that house or or his friend's kids. And he said, look, I think they're going to beat Alan. And the and the lawyer guy said, "No, Alan will win. Alan always wins. <laughs> Again, great line. Yeah, I know she always wins. The winner. And then she comes up, and she's not wearing her engagement ring anymore mm-hmm. because she found who she wants. And so she, I guess, writes to um, she, I don't know what his name is." Vincent's character, I don't remember. But she writes to him, and he comes to see her. It's dark and stormy night. And Ellen takes him into the back room, and he's like, how are you going to marry him? And uh, Richard, (laughs) Richard has no clue that he's supposed to be marrying her. Which is Cornell Wilde, and right, <laughs> she just sprung it on him. Yeah, so he leaves in a huff. I will always love you. That's a tribute. And then um, Cornell Wilde comes in. This is my oh, Richard and I are engaged. So he takes her in the back room. She said, "Will you marry me?" And so he just kind of gives into it. But the directors wanted Cornell to be weaker. And he had a hard time. This was not a happy shoot. This guy was not nice. He took turns picking on people. He did not pick on Oh, her. John Stahl, the right. director, you mean? Yes. He- well, you know, she says, though, that she credits him with her good performance, saying that he told her things like, um, I want you to be a serpent, be like a serpent. Yeah. Well, he did good with her. I mean, he was fine oh, with her okay, and, but- <laughs> and women. But with Cornell and with the, the boy, um, he was not. First, he started picking on the kid, and then after the producer saw the the scene, the swim scene, um, he was like the king, King Solomon. And so the director treated him nice and started treating Cornell like real crap, which is mm. like you know, really, I, I don't get it. But Alan is so jealous. Anyway, they end up getting married. He has his brother. I think he has polio. Yes, he's at he had Springs. polio and he's yeah. left, been left uh, uh, debilitated. Yes, so he's at Warm Springs, where I think that's where um, Roosevelt went mm-hmm. to. And right. so she said, let's get a place close so we can buy, be by Danny, like she'd really wanted to be. And so she makes friends with Danny. And then the doctor tells her that Danny, I think it's good for him to go back of the lake with you and his brother. And it's so good at and she's talking it out. You have to tell him no. After all, he's a cripple. 
know, right? You know, I I find that fascinating because I really do genuinely think she cared about Danny and she wanted him to get better. And I think that um, there's a side to her that comes out that is just um, so selfish to the point of evil. You know, that it's so envious. I mean, so jealous, I guess. And um, but you know, you think about it this way: they were just going on their honeymoon. Well, I agree. Never had a chance to be alone. Never. You know. It's like you almost agree. can't blame her. <laughs> I don't blame her for that. Yeah. But, um, you know, right when Richard comes in, oh, Richard, she changes her tune because that's just after she mm-hmm. says it. Yeah. Danny can come with us to Back in the Moon. And then you get there, they're there, and you hear Danny knocking on the wall. Hey, good morning. <laughs> of their bedroom. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So no, that's that's enough to drive any any woman. I insane. would go insane. I really would. So I've always said that when I talk about that movie, that that is nuts. And then you know, okay, I brought your people. I thought you'd be happy if I brought your people here. So what she needed was, of course, her mother. And she gets jealous of of Jean Crane because they're talking to her, and she thinks everybody's flirting. And but this is her honeymoon that they've all I agree. Inter- in- intruded on. <laughs> Richard is adult. Cornell Wilde. Yeah. yeah. And then he's he got that guy. Is. Yeah. The deedle deedle um num deedle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> deedle deedle um num deedle la Oh, the caretaker of the property <laughs> yes. that comes around with the with the logs for the fire and right. is constantly there. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, he's a servant and he's not a servant. He's my friend. And these are your people I thought you'd be happy in. And, and you were mean to Danny and all this stuff. And then she's like apologetic. He's yeah. He's, he's a big dope. And it's and and there, she has a scene, and she leaves the room, and they leave the next day. But they say we'll take Danny. There's a school, and we'll take Danny. You know, and then you guys can come. You know, which was a nice thing to do. But Danny didn't want to leave, so hence right. he had to die. <laughs> he had to die. Yeah, he did because. You know, he said, oh, Ellen's trying to tell him, oh, no, I'll just wait for when Dick goes. La-di-da-di-da. <laughs> and so Ellen's teaching him to swim. And um, I don't even But think- one of the greatest scenes in in movies, I think, is that lake scene. Mm. It's just so chilling. And I don't know, I guess you mind spoiling it for people or uh, if they haven't seen the movie. We're going to spoil it because I think a lot of people have seen the movie. Okay. I think people have seen it. Yeah, I or agree. It's been talked about so much because it's such yeah, a great scene. and you can see it on YouTube. Even just the clip alone yes. is up. So you know, it's. I feel like it's done so in such a sophisticated. Uh, just note perfect way, don't you? Because she's if they were done, if they were trying to make a movie like that today, like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle or Basic Instinct, you know these this this spate of um, killer women movies we had in the late eighties and nineties. <laughs> right. I feel like, or even today, they would have they would have it would have been gruesome somehow and bloody, and they would have overdone it. They would have had all this music playing. Oh no, I hate given that. Given it away, there's no music. There's no score. It's just this quiet, you can hear the gurgling as she lets him drown in the water and the screams. And then it's just silence. It is, it is perfect. And he's, 
you're almost there. And she looks yeah. so glamorous. Her she, hair is great. She, she's she wearing does. the coolest she's got sunglasses. Her sunglasses on in the boat. And, and she's like, um, <laughs> you're not making very much progress, Danny. <laughs> the way she says it. <laughs> you're almost there, you know, with that accent of hers. And she mm-hmm. said, just keep trying. And and he goes, I am. And I got a cramp, Ellen, Ellen, <laughs> I got a cramp, Ellen, help, keep trying, Danny. <laughs> she doesn't move a muscle. Until, and then he finally goes down Until she Ellen. sees Richard come, and then she's yeah. like, then she takes her softer sunglasses and her robe, and she jumps in trying to save him. But, you know, I, in her defense, I do believe that in that that she was in a trance of some sort, and at that moment she broke free from the trance and she realized what she had done. She looks horrified, horrified, and she jumps in and tries to save him earnestly. Don't you, or do you think it's all an act? I don't. I think she's horrified that Richard could have seen her do it, <laughs> that she was caught. Yeah, I, you know, I I do believe she had a fondness for Danny. Had he gone away with her sister and her, her with her cousin and her mother, I think life would have been fine, but. She wanted yeah. him gone. She just, yeah. you know, and he wouldn't go. So um, she wanted him gone. But, you know, I do, I don't know. It could be that reason. It could not be. But I love the final scene with him. And he's like, Ella, and his arm goes in and then he goes down. And that's it. Yeah, and that's when she sees scene. Richard. And, you know, he has a suspicion. The next time we see him, they're at her, I don't, where do they live? Bar Harbor. And they're at the mother's Maine, house. Yeah. yeah, they're at the mother's house. And, you know, he's just miserable. He's not even talking to her. He, you know, he's not saying, you killed my brother. But um, I think he has some suspicion there. He doesn't really want to have suspicion there. And he's not speaking to Ellen. So she asks her her cousin, what am I supposed to do? She said, well, he lo- why don't you have a baby? <laughs> That'll solve everything. Right. The stories of Tinsel Town.